Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Vayechi Shishi, the sixth Aliyah in Parshas Vayechi. Our Aliyah is about the burial of Yaakov Avinu. It is 27 Pesukim long, by far the longest Aliyah in Parshas Vayechi, which itself is a small parasha. It runs from Perik Memtes of Zayin to Perik Nun Pasuk Yud Tes, a total of 27 Pesukim. Let's take a look at a brief overview and then we'll jump into some points to ponder. So we hear the last, the twelfth of the twelve blessings, and that is to Binyamin. He is called a Zaviyatrof, this wolf which tears apart its prey. It eats in the morning and in the evening. It doesn't. It still carries on dividing its spoils. At the end of this, then we hear that these these are the twelve blessings of Yaakov. He blessed each one according to their blessing, and then he re- repeats his last request, and that is that he wants to be taken up when he dies. To the land of Israel to be buried in the cave that he bought by Mach, that that was bought in Machpelah, which Avram bought from Ephron, and he is going to be buried um, as uh, with his wife Leah, and that is what the law his last words it seems because then he pulls his legs into the bed and he passes away. Um, Yosef falls upon his father and cries and kisses him, and he then tells the Egyptian doctors to go and embalm his father. It takes 40 days to do so. There's another 30 days of mourning in Egypt. So it's a total of 70 days, at which point he goes over, Yosef goes to Pharaoh and he says to him, my father made me swear that I would take his remains up to the land of Canaan. Please let me go. And Pharaoh says, because your father made you swear, I will respect that wish. It seems that the policy of leaving and going from going and coming from Egypt was much more complicated than perhaps we would imagine it being in regular democratic countries as we know today. Um, so that's what happened. They all go up, they come up, Yosef, his children, his brothers, the whole entourage, even it seems there are the flocks and the cattle. This seems to be a precursor to what's going to be Yitzhak Mitzrayim in the future. And they go and they escort their father to from the land of Goshen. They come up and they come to this area to Gorin Ha'atad, which literally means this granary, which is this of, of thorns and on Transjordan. So this is on the east side of Jordan. And they give this large hesped, a large um, eulogy for Yaakov Avinu. And uh, it goes on for seven days. And the le- people of the land, the Canaanites, see this and they say, well, this must be a great morning for Egypt. And um, and the, and they call it therefore Avel Mitzrayim. This area was called the Morning of Egypt because of this Egyptian entourage, as they saw it. And that's what they do. They bury Yaakovinu in the Marasavach Pela, and then they return to Egypt. At which point in time, um, the 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 brothers come to Yosef and they're concerned that Yosef is going to take revenge upon them now that Yaakov is out of the picture. And so they prostrate themselves in front of him. And he says, they say to him, our father commanded us before his death that he wanted you not to hurt us, not to bear the guilt uh, upon us. And we are going to be slaves to you. We, we, we don't want to, uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want this, this animosity to continue. And at which point in time, Yosef says, Altiro, don't, don't fear. Um, I, 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 I'm in the place of God that I'm going to exact this justice. You thought it was it was uh, for for uh, bad, and Hashem thought it was for good to bring a great economic respite to the entire world. Very beautiful, Aliyah. A lot, a lot of different details. Let's let's try to attack some of the details one by one. First is why is Binyamin compared to a wolf? 
that that uh, seems to be gathering it spoils the meat. What's the relevance of this? So Rashi says it refers to future cases where Binyamin will act in a very strong way first at the end of Sefer Shoftim in Pelegash Begiva, where Binyamin is attacked in a civil war by the other tribes and he refuses to back down. That's in a negative sense. But later on, by Shaul HaMelech, who's able to fight off the enemies of Israel, and even at the the dying moments, fights back <coughs> against the Philistines. And then later on, in the evening, will still divide the spoils, refers to Mordechai and Esther, who come from the tribe of Binyamin, who at the times of Golos, even in the diaspora, are able to express and be leaders of the nation of Israel. Then going on to the next point, Yaakov says that he blessed all of them, but they weren't all blessings, as Rashi points out. When it comes to Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, it sounds like they were more curses or reprimandings. So Rashi explains that there were other blessings. Everybody got a bracha as well, but these are also the words of rebuke. So they got brachas and they got specific words relating to their station in life as well. Big question that's asked is, did Yaakov Venu really die? Well, it sounds like it, he does. The Gomorrah actually makes this observation in Tainis Daf Meheyam Beis. The Gomorrah says, quoting, um, a very interesting statement of Rabbi Yochanan that Yaakov Avinu Loimais, Yaakov did not die. This is actually rooted in the Pshat because unlike the other forefathers where it says Vayigva Vayomois, Adoni says Vayigva, he expired. It doesn't say he died. So the more I ask the very basic question is, generally speaking, if you embalm and you eulogize a person, you bury them in the ground, that means you're dead. So the Gemara says, how could that be? <laughs> it says Michti Sabtu Sabdana Vachantu Chantaya Vakovru Kebraya. They they did all this to to Yaakov, right? How could it be that he's alive? So the Gemara says, No, Mikrani Doresh. I'm giving a drasha, and the idea is <clears throat> just as Yaakov Vinu continues to be alive in spirit, he his children continue. His my Yaakov Vinu. Um, just like his children are alive, so too Yaakov is alive. What does that mean exactly? Does that mean that if you say, I'm giving a drasha, um, it's drush, I, you have poetic license to say whatever it is you want? How does this, how's drush work? There's a very beautiful mimer of Rav Hutna in Pesach on my, in mimer Nun Beis, where he makes a very, very profound observation about how we read Torah. That is that we know that there's four basic levels of reading the Torah, Paradise, um, which is Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Soid, which is the most outer basic level, Drush, a deeper level, Remez is a hint level, and Soid is a Kabbalistic idea, um, and more esoteric. So generally speaking, what we understand is, is that they are really just telling us um, similar ideas um, on similar planes of existence. So therefore, Pshat will be telling me what happened, and Drush is something which could have happened also. But Rafa Witness says that's not true at all. In fact, each level of deeper meaning reflects a deeper layer of existence. So something which is to be seen in the pshat of the Torah is reflecting something which is obvious in real life that actually happened. Something which is in a drush is not referring to something which was obvious that happened in life, but it may refer to an emotional level, it may refer to a spiritual level. The deeper you go in the level of expounding, the deeper a level it reflects in the reality it was reflecting. So each of these levels actually reflect the reality that they were that they were talking about as well. So coming back to that and appreciating that in full context, that means to say that when it says that Yaakov Vinu died, well, it actually on a pshat level, yes, he did die. He he physically expired and he was buried. But when it comes to the spiritual level, what does it mean about Yaakov Vinu? Yaakov Vinu was the one who did not die spiritually. That means to say he was an exemplar of all of his children being alive and his legacy continuing and everybody upholding what it was that he wanted from life. That's how he didn't die. 
in a sense, in a spiritual sense, which is reflecting a deeper level of reality. It requires sensitivity to read this and understand what Drush really means over here. These are not stories, poetic license ideas. This is actually reflecting a much deeper level of reality as well. We move on to the next question. Why did they embalm Yaakov? The Arachav HaKadosh says this was the practice in Egypt. This is how they treated nobility in Egypt, as we know today. In fact, the Arachav says in order for them to get Yaakov to Canaan, it was, it was a long journey. They needed to embalm him to avoid that his body would biodegrade, would start rotting along the way. The Haim Magdava quotes the Gomorrah in Sota, which actually criticizes Yosef. One of the opinions, Rebbe and the Gomorrah says there, that the, one of the reasons why Yosef di died before his brothers was because he embalmed his father. It was inappropriate for him to do this. He should not have done this action. Another question, what is the significance of the mourning at Goren Ha'atad, this interesting place on Transjordan where they're mourning, and they came to sea and they called it the, the what, what's going on over here? Rashi says, quotes a very fascinating Gemara in Sotan Dafyot Gimel, which says that the Malchei Canaan Unesi Yishmael came to attack the group. There were the kings and the princes of Canaan and Yishmael came to attack this entourage. But when they saw the crown of Yosef, which was on the casket, on the uh, the Aaron of Yaakov, then they came and put their crowns on the casket as well. Very strange. What does this mean? Rabbi Foreman has a very beautiful suggestion where he says that if you think about it, the Canaanites and the Ishmaelites were two sides of the family which were rejected by their parents. Canaan was rejected by Noah, he was cursed because of his actions, and Yishmael was rejected by Avram and Sarah not to be part of the family sent out into the desert. Both of these families are now attacking the chosen one, the Semites, the children of um, first shame, and now Yitzhak who were chosen as opposed to them. And they feel this is inappropriate. Why should they be treated so specially? Why is Idrid finding them so much favor? Until they saw the, the crown of Yosef. Why is the crown of Yosef the saving grace? For a very basic reason. And that is, is that Yosef was the one who perhaps, at least from his own perspective, was rejected. He was sold down the river. And from his perspective, his father was involved in it because his father sent him there as well. And that being the case, Yosef was the rejected family member who was re-embraced into the family. He had the, we'll call it, emotional wherewithal to be able to make the case that even though you may have been rejected, you're still part of the family, which is why the kings of Canaan and Ishmael hung their crowns upon the casket of Yaakov. This is how peace is created when these kind of actions happen. Finally, one last question is, isn't this a little bit chutzpahdik? The brothers come to Yosef and they say, really, our father told us that you should treat us well. You shouldn't kill us. You shouldn't exact justice. Is that really that appropriate? I mean, you think about this. If Yaakov had really wanted that, what he would have said, what he, he would have gone over to Yosef and he says, listen, Yosef, this is what I want from you. But why would he tell them? It, it sounds like a lie. How could they be lying? So some of them forced him to say, well, it was a lie to protect themselves. But there's another possibility I once heard from Abby Deanstag, who gave a very, very beautiful suggestion. And that is, is that if you look at the Rambam in Hilchas Melach in Perig Be'ez Pasuk, Halach Vov, the Rambam describes not just the responsibility of the people towards a king, but also the responsibility of the king towards the people. And among the things it says over there is that he should be a person who is not going to get insulted. He should speak gently with the people. And, uh, and he says, You should have extra humility. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu. That means to say, He should, be, he should have to take their complaints, their problems, their, their attacks. Like a mother will carry her child patiently. What's being said over here is the following. is They're saying, You were just told a few moments ago by father, 
the last blessing he gave us was yours was unazir lekodkod nazirechav. What does nazirechav mean? Contemplating the Farsha means the crown among the brothers. You're crowned. You're a king. Well, kings have responsibilities, and the responsibilities do not take things personally. Don't take what we did in a personal level. You're bigger than that, and that's why they say We are your servants. It doesn't mean servants as in we're now going to take punishment. It means we are your subjects. We accept you as the king, like your dreams actually portrayed. But in order for that to work, you need to be able to. Be bigger than the person Yosef, you need to be the king Yosef. And that's what Yaakov actually was saying. So it's not a lie, it's a reflection of the blessing and responsibility that Yaakov gave to Yosef. With this, we close the Aliyah. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful.